You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Now, I am around a while, and I've been a pastor for a while, and I've been a Christian myself for a while, and I think practically everybody that I know at some stage who loves the Lord has gone through a season where it's like God isn't with you. I've gone through that. Has anyone here ever gone through a time where it's as if the Lord isn't? You don't sense him near you. Anyone put up their hand to that? Okay, so I think most of us have put up our hands to that. It's something that's quite widespread. And I want to address that today because this is, as we say here, the bread and butter. This is the foundational building blocks of anyone who takes their faith seriously. And we assume you do. If you're spending time here on a Sunday, we take our faith seriously. And if God is with us in something, then we're not the same. So we're going to look at um, a portion of the Bible, Luke 2, 41 to 51, just condensed it a little, and this is the only insight we have before Jesus became a full man. This is what we see happened when he was 12, and it's a journey that his mother Mary, his stepdad Joseph, and he himself took, and I think there's an awful lot of learning for you and for me in this. And God's word is alive today. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And the word of God will always speak to us no matter what era we're in. Would anyone agree with that and say amen? So may God bless us with his word. I'm just going to read through some of these verses and we'll just have a look and see how they apply to our lives. We're told We're in Israel, obviously. We're told when Jesus was 12, he went with his parents to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And they did this every year. Afterwards, they started for the journey home with the others, but Mary and Joseph didn't know that Jesus actually stayed behind. Thinking he was with the other pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day before they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. When they didn't find Jesus with them, they turned around and went back to Jerusalem. It was the next day before they found him in the temple talking with the Jewish experts and teachers. They the Jewish experts were all really impressed with Jesus and with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents, however, were not at all impressed. They were rather upset and hurt. And his mother said, Why have you done this to us? We have been out of our minds. He said, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you get it? that I had to be about my father's business, but they had no idea what he was talking about. This is from the message version. Um, the, the version of the Bible I read myself at home is the New International Version, but, but sometimes one of the more contemporary 
um, translations or versions just gives you the edge in trying to get what was behind it. And I like how the message version just uh, brings a bit of sharpness to this. So we're here in ancient Israel and we're looking at the family that Jesus grew up with. And we're told straight away that after going up to Jerusalem for the feast, they started the journey home. But Joseph and Mary never knew Jesus wasn't with them. He stayed behind. And we need to get the context of this right. These people took their faith really seriously. Joseph and Mary were probably as good believers as you're ever likely to meet. They served God, they loved him. And when they started from home, they were coming from a church gathering, if you will. They had spent a number of days in the city of Jerusalem worshipping God, before God and with the other people. I mean, they weren't off to the Costa del Sol in Spain for a few weeks and they lost the, the kid on the way home. Not many of us are going to Spain at the moment, but they weren't down in Inchidani Beach in West Cork or anything like that. There's nothing wrong with that, but these people were literally in the right place at the right time doing God's will. It doesn't get better than that. And still, Jesus wasn't with them. What's going on? And why is it happening? We're told, thinking Jesus was with the other pilgrims, they journeyed on for a whole day. I'm just going to prophesy here that there is someone here, and as you're sitting here now, you have undertaken something new in your life. And now that you're just sat down and you're reflecting, you know that really God isn't with you. You haven't known God's presence in something new you're doing. And maybe this is speaking directly into your life. Because here, they thought Jesus was with the others because he wasn't with them. Very important point with this. You and I can never move forward on someone else's faith. Amen. Anyone else believe that? Amen. Amen. Praise God for your husband's faith, your wife's faith, your mum or dad's faith, your brother or sister's faith, your son and daughter's faith, your best friend's faith. Praise God for that. But you and I all have to own our own faith. And that only not only begins when we start following Jesus, we carry that through our lives. It doesn't mean we don't need others around us. We do, and they can confirm it. But Joseph and Mary assume he was with the other pilgrims, good people, giving their time and energy to worship God. They like you here today, good people. And they thought Jesus was with them, but he wasn't. So huge learning. Just because you're doing the right thing, and just because there's other good people with you, it doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus is with you on the journey. We're told then that they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. And when they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem. They finally realized he wasn't with them. They finally realized Jesus wasn't with the other people. So they made the best decision. They go back to where they last saw him. If you have lost the sense of God's presence, Maybe if you're sheltering at home and you haven't been in to church for a year and a half 
and you sense God's loss, or maybe you're here in the building and you haven't known God's presence, you need to go back to where you last encountered God. For Mary, for Joseph, it was Jerusalem. Anyone know what Jerusalem is a symbol of for us today? It's a symbol of the church. It's a symbol of the gathered, assembled community of the people of God. That's what Jerusalem means. So Mary and Joseph would have to trek all the ways back in the heat. I mean, it's not like a half an hour's journey back out to Douglas or something. This is, this is a long journey, walking in the heat. It was humiliating. It was embarrassing. It was nerve-wracking. Any parent will know that if you lose one of your children, you're all over the place. Just in case, I'm sure there's not, but just in case you think paedophiles only appeared in the last few years, paedophiles were always in humanity. And they would have had the same thoughts then as we would today. In fact, Jesus Christ mentioned it when Jesus said, better for a millstone to be hung around the neck of someone who harms a little one and that they're thrown into the sea rather than they harm the little one. So Joseph and Mary would have been full of um, anxiety and distress. But for you and me, it's not a child missing. It's you and me doing something and we don't know that Jesus is with us. So they turn around and they go back to Jerusalem. There was a whole movement a few years ago called Back to Jerusalem. There's quite a profound um, spiritual message in that, but it's for another day. Now if anyone follows me on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, me or the church, I put this out yesterday about the journey that this family undertook. Google Maps tells us that if you walk today from Nazareth to Jerusalem, it takes 24 hours to walk. That's about, they walked about eight hours a day, so that's a three-day journey. If you're driving in the car, it's not even two hours. If you're cycling, it's about eight hours. So this is a three-day, three-night journey. That's what you're looking at. And they took their faith seriously. Why am I highlighting this? Because we're talking about decent, God-fearing, believers here. We're not talking about someone who's messing about with their faith. These are good people. And it's important that you and I get this because we can be a bit embarrassed if we drop the, the plot, as it were, if we lose something of God in our daily lives. We have to be honest and say, you know what? I need to go back to Jerusalem. I need to turn around again because I'm not sure Jesus is with me in my new job or in my new home or in my new relationship or in this new ministry or whatever it is. We have to have the humbleness of heart to say, you know what? I think I made a mistake here. It was a sin of omission rather than a sin of commission. It was something I forgot rather than something I deliberately did. Jesus isn't with me on this journey. So what do we learn? First of all, don't start anything without bringing Jesus into it. Who say amen? Amen. Let me, confession is good for the soul. I, I don't want to offend or upset anyone, but uh, many years ago, decades ago, um, there was almost, there was very little on offer from a church point of view in Cork. Maybe one or two 
church is kind of like this, but one was very conservative, God bless them, another one was very wild, so we kind of couldn't fit in with either, and we were saying, what are we going to do, how are we going to raise our kids, and uh, a, a little group was starting, and we said, well, surely this is the only alternative, and, and we started it, and the problem wasn't with anyone else, the problem was with me, I never prayed, I never asked Jesus, are you in this, I assumed he was, because I didn't see another option, actually God had another option, and that was us to start a whole new church, but I didn't want to do that, and I was in denial psychologically, because I didn't want the responsibility, I wanted a nice quiet life. Where I was responsible for no one, I could mind my own business. <sighs> but God had other plans for me. Amen. And that's okay, isn't it? Amen. Do you think He has other plans for you? Yes. Sometimes He does. And it's not what we want, but it's what He wants. But I wanted an easier way out and bought, never bought the Lord into it. And you know what, one of the most traumatic things in my life was a church split basically that happened. And I'm not blaming anyone else because everyone was trying their best in that situation. And everyone was looking to the Lord, but I hadn't prayed about it because I assumed Jesus was in it. Never assume that Jesus is in something. Invite him in. What does the Bible say? Jesus says in the book of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And he's talking about your heart. If you're new here, maybe you're hearing that knocking on the door of your heart. Because Jesus is a gentleman, isn't he? He isn't kicking the door. You're not a robot. He's given man and women free will. We get to choose who say amen. amen. And we can choose whether we open the door to the Lord and invite him into our hearts, or we can keep the door closed. He's not going to force himself. And it's the same with everything we undertake. Jesus isn't going to force himself into every aspect of your life. You and I are called to invite him in. And I didn't invite him in in that situation. So unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Who builds it? Amen. So we've got to learn. Don't start building anything. Don't build something new in your life. Unless you know that God is in it. And it's only prayer away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, Joseph and Mary, I have to say, do you not think, guys, you could have checked before you started the journey? Hello? I'm sure all the parents here know that one. You kind of say, are all the kids in the back of the car? If they didn't have a car, but you know what I mean. One, two, three, four, five, I don't know how many kids you have. But you try to make sure your kids are with you. But of course, back then, life was a lot larger. It was a big community thing. The whole town of Nazareth would have traveled together, and they would have met with other pilgrims. These are good people, worshipping God. And so it takes a village to rear a child, and the kids would have been together, and the boys, age 12, were all chatting among each other, and they'd have gone to different parents and slept at night with them. It was that kind of a vibe. But it's still no excuse. Don't start without Jesus. Make sure he's with you. Also, don't assume he is with the others. Even if they're really good people and they're spiritual, how about if we're all assuming you know, none of us know. 
we've all started something. I can remember years ago, a few guys started a Christian business and it didn't work out. And talking to them years later, what a few of them said to me was, well, I thought he knew God was in it. And when you talked to him, he thought the other fellow knew God was in it. There was about four of them involved. They all assumed the other guy had prayed. But nobody had prayed. God wasn't in it. You know, they were good guys. They learned the lesson and they moved on from it. Don't assume he's with others, but do go back to where you last encountered Jesus. If that's you this morning, where did you last encounter him? Was it when you were on your knees praying in your bedroom? Then go back to your bedroom and go on your knees and pray again. Was it at the back of a Christian hall or church like this, and it was during the worship and you started weeping silently in the background? Was that where you last knew God's Holy Spirit? Or was it when you were out walking in the countryside? I don't know, you know. Where is the last place that you really knew God was with you? Go back there and try and connect again with Jesus. Hallelujah. Even if you have to leave what you're doing and go back, this is what we see happening here. So they had started the journey home to Nazareth. They'd gone about eight hours, something like that, and so they spent a whole day walking back. And Joseph and Mary were told in Luke 2, searched everywhere. It took them another whole day before they finally found Jesus. I don't know who was feeding them. Where was he sleeping? I don't know. It, it was that kind of a situation. But he was with the experts, the Jewish teachers and preachers, really the top of society, and they were so impressed with him. But Joseph and Mary come in, and mum and dad were told, weren't at all impressed. On the contrary, they were upset. And they were hurt. I can honestly say years ago, I was upset, I was hurt. And if I really honest, somewhere in my heart, I kind of said, why did God allow this to happen? But you see, he didn't allow it to happen. I allowed it to happen. It was on me. Because I'm called as a Christian to invite Jesus into all my decisions. And it's the same with you. We're, we're, we're called to bring Jesus in. They were upset. They were hurt. Maybe you're upset. Maybe you're hurt today. I don't know. But it's not God's fault. It's our own fault because we don't invite him in. And we get a little tell. We see a kind of a, an insight into the psychology and the emotion that Mary and Joseph would have felt when Mary said, How have you done this to us? We've been out of our minds. Out of my mind. Sometimes we lose our peace of mind. Sometimes we lose more than that because we realize I'm on my own. God isn't with me in this. I haven't known God's presence, his comfort. That's not there. Joseph and Mary saw that and they knew something is wrong. And here they say to Jesus, you know what, Jesus, why have you done it? Maybe that's you this morning. Sometimes I sit with someone who's lost someone they dearly love. And I don't have the words. I don't know the answer. And they'd say, why has God done this? All I know is we live in a broken world. But Mary and Joseph said, why have you done this? I've been out of my mind. Maybe you've been out of your mind recently. I am fascinated though with the response of Jesus Christ. 
because he said to his mother and stepfather, didn't you know? Don't you get it? I mean, don't you get it? I honestly have to say, I actually don't fully get this. Like, why didn't Jesus just tell Mary and Joseph, you know what, would you mind if we stayed another day or two? Because I really want to talk about the scriptures to the experts and the teachers here. Why didn't he just say that? Perhaps he didn't say it because he was waiting for them to initiate it. Perhaps we're back to the knocking rather than the opening. Perhaps for you and me, why something happened is because we haven't asked God in, in a good way. And we've asked God, God, would you send your Holy Spirit on me? My heart is broken, would you heal it? My mind is tormented with the voice. Can you help me out here, God? Maybe I as a human being don't have the answers, but God does. But you know what? Sometimes we won't know the answer until the end. For me, I can look back on my life and I can say, I didn't know what was going on there. But about two years later, I really understood it. Or another few years later. And now looking back, I get it. But at the time, like if I speak to the Tom Burke of 25 years ago, um, I don't know that he would have had the patience, honestly. To, to hear what, what, what I've had to accept now. And sometimes we have to grow and we have to go through a situation before we really can move forward with God. So Jesus said, didn't you get it? Well, what was their response or what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us in verse 50, Joseph, Mary, godly people, spiritual people had no idea what he was talking. Just capture that moment and ask yourself in your life, can you, can you say there's stuff that's going on in your life and you have no idea what God was doing? I have no idea. And here we touch something. This is a touchstone for anyone who really takes their faith seriously. And what is that? That there's an element of mystery with God. We think we can explain it all? No, we can't. We, we know God's love letter, the Bible to us. We know the general themes. But there's stuff happens and we really don't get it. And sometimes God is doing something far above our ways. Isaiah says that the Lord said, said, My ways are far above your ways. So God sees and knows stuff that you and I were human brains, we can't ever know. And that's where sometimes we've just got to accept, He is God, I am just a human being, I will put my trust in Him. We'll say Amen. amen. I'll put my trust in Him. There may be mystery here, but I'm okay with the mystery. Because my God is so far beyond who I am. Are we really little tin gods that we know it all and we want to control everything in our lives? Or can we really surrender it over to him? Joseph and Mary hadn't a clue. But they didn't reject Jesus. They didn't say, that's it. I'm off on my own. I don't get this Jesus. No. They went back with Jesus. And... 
If you look, we can see a team, a pattern of Jesus deliberately not coming in when people are praying. And maybe you've got unanswered prayers today. And maybe you're going over your mind. Or maybe your heart is broken. Or maybe you're banging when no one is looking on the wall and going, Why has this happened to me? What did I do wrong? All I know is I can see that Jesus deliberately showed up late deliberately kept himself back because he was doing something greater. We can see when Lazarus was really sick, Jesus' really good friends, Martha and Mary, his sisters, sent word to Jesus, please come and heal Lazarus. Jesus, you've healed thousands. Can you heal your friend? Do you know the words they used? The one that you love is ill. Jesus never came. He deliberately stayed back a few days, and Lazarus died. And just put yourself in Mary and Martha's situation. That day and that night, their eyes are on fire from weeping, their hearts are broken, their brother who they loved, who was probably only in his late 20s, had died. And worst of all, their Jesus, their friend, their saviour, never showed up when they needed him. But he did show up. And he did something far better. And in John chapter 11, you can read about it. He rose Lazarus from the dead. It was even better. But for a while, they didn't know that was going to happen. There was a mystery in their lives. What about the two on the Emmaus road? Jesus had died uh, on the cross. And these two guys were walking away from Jerusalem, leaving Jerusalem behind, going to a village called Emmaus. And someone, they didn't know who, a mysterious person, walked with them. And that was Jesus. But they were telling them how disillusioned they were with this Jesus, their leader. He hadn't, he was dead. He wasn't in their lives anymore. But Jesus revealed himself to them. And then they ran back to tell the others in Jerusalem. They went back to Jerusalem just like Joseph and Mary, but they said to one another, you know, we didn't even know who this stranger was who was walking with us on the road, but didn't our hearts burn within us? And that's one of the signs, you know, that Jesus is with you again. Your heart starts burning. Well, I'm talking about that. I know I did. I do you know what I mean by burning? I, I tell you physically what happens to me. When I know God is near, my heart beats faster, my face gets hot, I get a bit emotional, and I'm not an emotional person really, but I, I can feel tears in my eyes. These are the physical things that happen to me when I know God is near. I, I forget about any problem or issue, and I start seeing a bigger picture. I start seeing the long game. I start seeing beyond any problem I'm facing, and I see something far more wonderful and far greater than this little existence I have here on earth. And these guys on the maze road, that's what they meant by a burning heart. And if you've never known a burning heart, can I encourage you? The Holy Spirit wants your heart to burn. Jesus didn't let them down. They just didn't get it initially. Or how about what I quoted, I think it was last week, Psalm 13. 
And David poured out his complaint to God. How long will you go forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? He thought God had abandoned him. It's just he didn't know all the facts. God was going to do something wonderful. But he couldn't see it at the time. I'm here today. Maybe I'm a voice in the wilderness. But I'm here to plead. To, to really ask you. If you feel God has abandoned you, can I promise you, he hasn't? Would anyone say amen? Amen. amen? But maybe he's done something far greater than you can ever think or imagine. Hallelujah. Because his ways are far above your ways. Maybe you're new here and you're going, why is that bald guy on the stage getting all excited about God being with him? What's with these people? But you know what? I'm going to quote someone. I love what... Uh, uh, a pastor, a writer, a theologian called John Piper said about this. This is the reason it's so important to us. This is why we want Jesus on every journey we take in life. He put it this way. If you've never seen the sun, you would be impressed with the street light. If you've never experienced thunder or lightning, then you're going to be impressed with fireworks. If you turn your back, on the greatness and the majesty of God, you'll fall in love with the short-term shadow of the real thing. I wonder, are some here following a short-term shadow when really God wants you to have the real thing? Do you really want to settle for a street lamp, street light, when you can have the sun, the sun of God? Are we really going to settle for life without Jesus? No matter what we do, you and I have tasted. What does the psalmist say? Oh, taste and see. Say it again. They can't hear you on Facebook. Oh, taste and see. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And once you've tasted that, you can never be satisfied with a pretend taste. And that's why having Jesus with us, whatever we do, is so important to us. Can I encourage you that it would become important to you too? Because you don't want a street light when you can have the warmth and the life-giving energy of the Son, even the Son of God. This family went back to Nazareth they went on a long journey home, were told that Jesus, for the next 18 years, was obedient to his parents, and he grew in spirit and in stature, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, in every way. He grew and he progressed until he was 30 when he reached full manhood in Jewish law. So age 12 is when you begin your manhood. Age 30 is when you are fully mature in your manhood, according to Jewish law. And then Jesus began his public ministry. But he, we don't read anything about him for the next 18 years, other than he was with his mother, and he was with Joseph. Joseph passed away during that time, but Mary survived. I want to leave you with one last verse from this powerful piece of God's word, and that is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how she moved forward from this. Can I say for those of you like me, who maybe came from a more traditional background, 
we, I would have grown up with probably an overemphasis on Mary, and we were encouraged to pray to her rather than Jesus and all that. The danger is, is that people from our background, which is probably many of us here, we throw the baby out with the bathwater and we're afraid to consider Mary at all. But we really lose out. Let's take what's written about Mary in the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Let's see the wisdom we can learn from her. We're not going to adore her instead of God or anything, with the greatest of respect to everyone. But we can take the truth from her. Do you know that Mary was one of only 120 believers in Jesus who was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? And she broke out of that upper room and with all the other men and women went out to the steps, the southern wall of the old, that same temple in Jerusalem. And she would have preached the word of God in languages she didn't understand because she was given the gift of tongues. Just see what I believe is one of the seeds to bring her to that place, that place of really following God. We're told, finally, verse 51. As Mary walked away from that lesson of not having Jesus on her journey, we're told she treasured these events and these words deeply within her heart. If, like me, you've done something and Jesus wasn't in it, learn from it, treasure that difficult time. Was your heart broken? Were you out of your mind? Take that into your heart, treasure that difficult lesson, reflect on it, and become a stronger Christian as a result of it. That is the will of God for you. Amen. You take the pain that you've learned, you give the pain to God, and God makes you stronger. Amen? Amen. So let's invite Jesus into this part of our lives. There's a guy called Phil Wickham, and he wrote a beautiful song called You're Beautiful. We weren't talking about his girlfriend or his wife, I'm sure she's beautiful or whatever. He was talking about Jesus. And he, I love the line opening, and he said, I see your face, Lord, in every sunrise. If you think God is gone out of your situation, I know that God wants to be back into your situation. And we're going to pray for that in just a moment. So could you stand with us? We have six minutes left and we just want to pray. We're going to put up the words Joseph and uh, Zosha and the band are going to sing for us. And then we'll pray. Guys, let's sing. see your face in every sunrise. The colors of the morning are inside.
through a traumatic time in your past and you still have the scars from it, can I encourage you, invite Jesus into that painful place. It takes courage, but Mary invited Jesus, as it were, into that place. If you're willing to do that, before God, would you lift up your hand as an upward sign? I see your hands. I see your hands go up. Hallelujah. Do you know what I want to do? I want to pray that the Holy Spirit who heals, who comforts, and who consoles would come into your heart here and now, and that you would learn from that pain and go up this door stronger than what you came in. Could you just sing the chorus of that again, guys? And can I invite you to leave your seat, own the prayer, that's what it's about. And we're just going to pray with you up here if you come forward. Hallelujah. That's it. I see your face in every sunrise. I see your face in every sunrise. The colors of the of despair 
I was there to begin your healing. And the Lord would say, a healing process is beginning deeply now in your heart and in your mind. So open up and welcome the Spirit of God to move in those places because my fingertips, says Jesus of Nazareth, will touch where no man or no woman could ever touch touch no counselor no doctor no one can touch you where your god can touch you and i will bring my nail pierced hands to that spot and your healing begins now receive it for your god is for you he is not against you this is the word of the lord amen amen I'm just going to ask the guys to stay here and I just want to pray a wider prayer that if anyone here is about to start something new whether it's a job whether it's going back to college or school whether it's something new in your relationships or even in your physical home or whatever we're just going to pray now that everyone here would not start the journey without Jesus and, and maybe it's something small but God wants to be with you and me in the small things as well. If that's your prayer, I'm going to invite you to lift your hands. Come, Holy Spirit of God, for all the dreams represented across this hall, all the hopes, and up in the atrium and down in the cafe church space, all of the prayers that are silently going up like incense to heaven now, we invite Jesus into our decisions. Can you say amen? amen? And Lord, we pray you would stop us from starting anything unless you are with us. So I figuratively pray for every house that is about to begin, every building that is about to begin. I pray, Lord, that none of us would labor in vain by day or by night, but that you, God, would be in the center of this new thing that we are building. And we know that if you are in it, we will prosper. If you are in it, we will succeed. If you are in it, we will be stronger. So welcome Jesus into all of our decisions and let it even start today that you are in every decision for the week ahead. Welcome Lord Jesus and thank you for being with us thus far. In Jesus name and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Can we sing the song just one last time? You guys can go and stand by your seats. Let's just sing it one last time before we fully close. Let's steal another 60 seconds from the government and worship God. Are you with me? Thank you, Zosha. Two of us will do it anyway. Let's sing. I see your face in every sunrise.
to a wedding where we, those who love you and are called the bride of Christ, will finally be fully joined with you, the bridegroom, and we will be part of that great day in heaven. We'll say hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is our future, and we look forward to it. But in the meantime, we pray for us and for the people we love that this coming week you protect us, we'll say amen. 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 We pray you protect the people we love, amen. amen. And we pray you will keep us safe until we gather together in your name again. In Jesus' name. And one final time this morning, the people of God. With a loud voice say, Hallelujah. Thank you all so much for joining with us. Thank you to everyone who's joined us online and right throughout the building. The band are going to play us out and we're serving coffee. Out the door to your left. Come and join us if you have the time. Joseph, Socha and Tina.